First Peter, we're in our study of First Peter, <clears throat> part 8, we're on verses 13 through 17, and I want to read those to you right now. First Peter chapter 1, and starting in verse 13, <clears throat> therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Dear Lord, this time is your time. We pray that you would use it for your glory in each one of our lives and that you would use your servant Paul to teach us and guide us. Bless him with your hand of anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello. So I'm um, I'm actually feeling quite a lot better, but my voice is not <clears throat> is not there yet. I've still got this weird stuff in my ears. I had this. Uh, I had it in my ears. I had it in my eyes. It was kind of just very odd. What what can you do? Um, anyway, um, it's nice to be back. And, um, you know, as we were praying there for, particularly for Johnny, who's been a lot on my mind recently, um, you know, all we can do at this time is to pray for God's will to be done. Uh, We don't know the right prayer to pray, do we, really? Um... So I think that that would be what Margie would want and, uh, you know, that, that he knows that, uh, that God is with him and he feels God's peace and God's presence, you know, where he is. Um, whether he is restored to us or whether he is, uh, renewed in heaven. Um, may God's will be done. <clears throat> so this this passage from verses 13 to 17 of chapter 1, 1 Peter, is a kind of a logical application of what Peter has said so far. To kind of sum it all up, we are and should see ourselves as participants in a scheme or a plan of God in our lives that both the prophets of the Old Testament inquired into and wanted to know more about and that the angels looking down and not just looking down, angels among us desire to look into. There is a mystery in the transformation that the gospel will bring about in us, his uh, God's saints, 
that uh, the angels want to know more about. So it's not just us that want to know more about it. It's not just us that are inquisitive about, okay, what's our redemption body going to be like? What would it be like to live and to touch and to feel and to see and to hear in a world without sin and not to be blighted from the inside with sin and corruption? What would that be like? Well, the angels will see it when we're transformed into uh, the image of his son, his resurrected son. So uh, in view of everything that has been done for us by God, Peter tells us in verse 13, and he uses a an expression that is well known from the Old Testament. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Well, not what on earth does that mean? Gird up your loins. Well, you have to remember that the people in uh, the ancient world did not dress the way that we dress today. They didn't dress in um, shirt and pants and so on. They wore robes. And so if, uh, if you wanted to do certain kinds of work, a robe sometimes was not uh, the, uh, the best thing to have on unless you uh, found a way of kind of hitching it up, bringing it up so that you didn't trip up if you were working on the land or it didn't get in the way. Um, or it uh, allowed you more freedom in, with your feet, with your legs, to do certain work um, that you had to do around the house or uh, in town. And so you would ba- basically tie up the bottom of the robe and your legs would be free, you know, from your knees and so on. So that's the idea. Um, if you wanted to run, for example, in, one, in a robe, you would have to hitch it up, wouldn't you, you see? Otherwise you're going to fall over. So that's the idea. In other words, make preparation to do what you need to do. You see, if you want to run, well, you've got to get that robe up. If you want to work in the fields or with horses and so on, you've got to get that robe up, you know, to your knee level and so on. That's the idea. We don't use this expression today. Uh, in America, we talk about rolling up our sleeves. Yes? Again, if we want to uh, do certain work, but we've got sleeves, then we prepare for doing that work by rolling the sleeves up, do you see? So that our arms are free. So that's the idea. It's a preparation mindset that he's talking about. So as long as we understand that girding up your loins uh, in verse 13 is rolling up your shirt sleeves, then uh, we can continue with, uh, with his illustration. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. You would be amazed how many times in the New Testament the mind is mentioned and the thinking is mentioned. It is key. You know, 
Either God has your mind and your thinking or the world and Satan has your mind and your thinking. But your mind is influenced more strongly by one or the other. And it is your choice, my choice, as to uh, which force, which influence is allowed to possess the thoughts and the time of our thinking, whether it's the world or whether it's God. We need to be very careful, therefore, don't we, how we spend our thinking time. When I say thinking time, I'm not saying uh, thinking hard upon problems. I'm just thinking, I'm just, you know, really concerned here with what are we doing with our minds? Our minds are always working. Our brains are always functioning. And, of course, our brains being amazing uh, instruments created by God, they can do multiple functions. We can even think about what we're thinking about. Okay? In other words, there are different levels to our to our thinking as well. We can, and we're probably aware of this, when um, particularly stress and strain enters our lives, that the we, we kind of maybe push that down so we can operate in the world, but that stress and strain, that motor, as it were, is still running underneath. And we've got to take care of that and take care of ourselves so that uh, that motor doesn't start, you know, wearing us out completely. But our minds are capable of doing all kinds of things. And therefore, we need to watch them. We need to look after them. If we have been uh, spending our time thinking about sinful things, or if there are things on the news that are making us angry or frustrated, and so on, we might kind of push them down. But if we've been spending a long time with that, then that is still operating underneath, do you see? That thought, you know, concern with the world, I understand it. But maybe that that concern with the world is over-concern with the world and needs to be replaced with what Peter is recommending here, which is concern for the things of God now and a mindset that interprets the present by the future. So we need to prepare or roll up the shirt sleeves of our mind. You see, Christianity is about the mind. It's about the mind more than it's about the heart. Because unless we are concerned with what's going on in here, we can't change what's going on in here. All right? You can't bypass this to get to this. This is corrupt. The heart is corrupt, more corrupt than we No. And the only way of filtering out its wickedness and its deception is to put good, holy, clear thoughts in our minds so that they affect our hearts. And to do that, you have to prepare. Prepare your mind. So prepare your mind. 
Peter says, and be sober. Think clearly. Don't be overly enthusiastic so that we get carried away and are not able to balance our thoughts and put things in their right place. But certainly don't be overly pessimistic about things either. But think about things in a realistic, sober way. But using God's word as the currency of our minds. Sobriety. Or thinking soberly, thinking sensibly about things means that we are uh, making sure that what goes through our minds is that which can help us to think about the things of God and to apply those things to the situations and circumstances that we may meet day by day. Now, doing that, there is a third step that Peter encourages us to take. He says, rest your hope. What's the next word? You should have your Bibles open so you're watching fully, fully, completely upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's his second coming. Rest everything, all the eggs that you have, okay? Don't leave one out. Don't, no plan B, no fail safe. Rest everything you have fully, totally, completely on God's grace that he will reveal to you fully, surely, totally when Christ returns. What is he asking us to do here? He's asking us to train our minds on the future. But not just on any future. Not on some kind of utopian worldly future. Um, Certainly not in a World Economic Forum kind of a future. But on a future that despite what man does and how he messes it up, because he always messes it up, the future that brings everything together, clears away the debris, and there's not going to be an awful lot of that, leaves those things that uh, are good, and then adds to it and brings to it those perfect and beautiful and lasting things that the king wants in his kingdom. That kind of future is what he's talking about. Because that's your future, that's my future. Our future in the kingdom, our future in this world, doesn't end when our lives end here in this life and the here and now. That's just the opening chapter. It's not even the opening chapter, it's just the preface. The life that has been promised to us the glory that Peter has already spoken about, the salvation that Peter refers to here is 
guarantee to us and will be delivered up to us when Christ returns. And so we are to prepare our minds. Do you spend any time, do I spend any time preparing the way that you're going to think today? You know, some things that you can do in order to do that. You can dip into God's word in the morning, for example. You can recite the Lord's Prayer in the morning. I mean, not just by rote, but think through it as you recite it. I like to do that every morning. Um, To make sure that our minds are set on the right track. You know, just putting things on the right track in the morning really helps tremendously for the rest of our days. Otherwise, you know, when are we going to get on the right track? When are we going to get things going the way they should be? Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse uh, 7 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Well, that's been given to us. Not to fear, not to fear what the powerful and the corrupt in this world are doing and might do or might not do. You know, they don't have so much power that they can actually determine the future anyway. That's in God's hand. Not to fear, you know, what the economy may or may not do or, you know, whatever it is that may uh, want to dog us in our lives. Don't worry about those kinds of things. You don't have to worry about those things because you're God's child. And as God's child, you can replace that fear, replace that concern with power, with God's love and the blessing of a sound mind. Boy, do we need people with sound minds today. We are in the midst of a world, world, particularly in the West, where I think irrationality and pure stupidity is at its height in the history of man. So that's the first thing, that we are to prepare our minds And in verses 14 through 16, Peter continues, We're to do this because we want to be obedient children to our Father. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because as it is written, be holy for I am holy. And so we're we're, uh, confronted here with the fact that preparation, right preparation of our thinking will lead to holiness of life. Okay? It will lead to self-denial and denial of those things that we did in the past and all of those uh, futile thoughts that still affect us and 
try to uh, take over our minds and to have a determination to live in a way that pleases God as obedient children. Well, many of us know what it's like to have obedient children, and we also know what it's like to have disobedient children, don't we? Which one would we rather have? Which one is less hassle? Which one do you worry about less? Which one are you concerned about less? Which one do you have to, instead of wanting to bless them and give them things and to enjoy time with them, you have to spend time correcting them and taking things away and maybe, you know, disciplining them as well. Do you see? Which one is more easy? Which one is the one that uh, is... We, we love them just as much, but which one's easier to live with? Well, we're to be obedient children to God, not disobedient, not wayward children. So here's the thing. We expect our children to be obedient. We try to bring them up in that way so that they will be obedient, but there's this horrible thing in them that's called sin which is very powerful and very active and uh, tends to pull them away from the track that we want them to be on but here's the problem for us we have the same trouble and God has the same concerns about us just as our kids however old they are, have a responsibility that they must take seriously and think soberly about if they are going to be obedient and not cause us grief. So do we too when it comes to our relationship with God our Father. We have a responsibility. Are we going to be obedient How am I doing in my uh, walk with God? Am I being obedient or am I being wayward? How does God find me right now? You know, God's question in the Garden of Eden, where are you? Well, where are we? It's a good question to ask ourselves, isn't it? And to make sure that we are not conforming ourselves to the former lusts, as he says in verse 14, which is what we did in our past lives before we knew Christ, when we were ignorant. Not conforming yourselves to that life, but, of course, contrary-wise, conforming ourselves to God and his will. Now, let's just pause there for a second because... Again, I hope that you can understand why it is important to prepare our thinking here. We have to prepare ourselves to not conform. Do you see? To not conform to what we're hearing from the world, what we're seeing on our TV sets, what people in the world are doing. That's We have to see it. We can't stop seeing it. We can't stop hearing it. And it would be ridiculous and stupid and 
so on for us to all flee to the hills and try to be monks and nuns and so on to just get away from it, okay? No, we we have to live in it, but we have to make a certain decision as to how we are going to be different from it. We have to say, I'm not going to conform myself to that thinking, to that pattern, to that way of uh, looking at life, which is so often utterly devoid of common sense. And its results are often devastating, though hidden as much as they can hide it. And so we are, we are to not conform ourselves to the way of the world. We are to conform ourselves differently. How? Well, he says in verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We are to conform ourselves to the character of God. As he who called you. Well, okay. Let's look at God. Let's think about his attributes. Let's think about the way he thinks. Let's think about the way he sees things, what he would say to us. And let us conform ourselves to that. You see, it's fairly straightforward and simple, isn't it? But it's so, so important. Paul puts it this way, of course. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, here's the thing. That transformation is not something you do. Okay? When he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds... What he means is that you have to make a decision. Okay, I'm not going to be conformed to the world. I'm going to try to conform myself to God and his world. And when we do that, we start to be obedient children. We start to please God. And God, the Holy Spirit who is within us, then helps us to walk with him. To keep in step with him as we go. Do you see? That's where that transformation comes in. So that our conduct is holy conduct. This idea in verse 16 from the book of Leviticus, be holy for I am holy. That's very daunting, isn't it? Is what's God saying here? Will you be as holy as I am? Well, in one sense he is doing that. Of course, because he can't lower the standard, that would be ridiculous for him to do that. You know, be less holy than I am. But in another sense, it is something to be aimed for. And that's the idea. Be holy, be consecrated to God. You know, the priests in the Old Testament, they were anointed, they wore special clothing, and they were supposed to make sure that they were clean and ceremonially clean and so on, have to go through certain rigmaroles in order uh, that they could serve at the tabernacle or at the temple. 
that was what consecration was. They had to make themselves ready uh, for that. In the same way, we have to consecrate ourselves to God. That's what it means. And so what does he do here to help us to do that? Well, as you can probably see in verse 17, verse 17 in our English translations ends with a semicolon, which means I've cut it off from the rest of the sentence, which is kind of a long sentence. Peter kind of likes long sentences. And there's a reason for that, because there's too much in this passage to cover in one sermon. But it's also because there is a great um, teaching here, a very practical teaching, that I want to end this this, uh, sermon with, which has to do with behaving with godly fear. This is how it's done, do you see? The great... um, service that the fear of God does for us in living in this kind of a world is that it keeps us focused on God and keeps us from thinking vain thoughts. (laughs) It also very often keeps us from second-guessing ourselves, which is, uh, of course, the devil loves us to do that. And so Peter says here, sorry, in verse 17, and if you call on the Father... And that's not, you know, if you decide to do that, but, you know, when. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, throughout the time of your life, your Christian life. Make sure that there is one thing that is a constant in your Christian life as you have to live it out here, and that is the fear of God. Please make sure that you have a healthy fear of God. I don't know how many people we have uh, today who like to run through red lights, you know, you see the, the light turn red and you think, okay, I'm going to go for it. Okay? Not only is that ridiculous and stupid, of course, and dangerous, not to, just to yourself to, but to other people, but it shows you to be a fool, a fool who doesn't fear what he ought to fear. The red light's there, so that your fear, okay, <laughs> that's its function. So that you'll fear and you'll stop. God and his reality and his truth should make us fear and stop. Stop conforming ourselves to the world. Stop thinking idly about things. Stop fearing things that are not God. Stop placing all of our treasures in uh, the world's basket and put all of them in God's basket. The father, you see, judges his children's work and he judges his children's motives. 
And he does it without partiality, verse 17. Now just, let's go back to the obedient children illustration. So many of you have had to, uh, you've, you've had to find yourself in a position where you've rewarded one child and you've not rewarded another child. They've both been there in front of you, but, but you've rewarded one child and not rewarded another child. You've had to explain to the child that you didn't reward why he didn't get his reward. And you've said, well, I told you about this. This person did what I told him to do. I told you the same thing and you didn't do it. So he's getting rewarded and you're not. That's a very important lesson for them to learn. Okay? You don't get rewards just for showing up. God judges impartially. He will judge us individually and make sure that you understand here that he's never going to be unfair. The judgment that I get, the judgment that you get when God does judge us for our work, for our conduct, not for our sins, will be very fair. I'm okay with that. Okay, I'm okay with that. And he judges our work. This is assuming, of course, we're doing work. Isn't it? So if we're not doing work, if we're not serving God, if we're not doing something, we might want to think about that. What are we doing to serve God? Okay? This is where I insert a little uh, advertisement for the church. The church could always do with people to serve, okay? You don't, doesn't mean that you have to do it every week. It doesn't mean that you have to do it all the time. But if you can make yourself available, maybe for the children's work, particularly I'm thinking about that, maybe for some other things, it would be not only greatly appreciated by uh, the elders, but it would be very beneficial for your future, <laughs> Because you'll have something to be judged. And I wouldn't want you to miss out on that. So finally here, Peter calls attention to the fact that we are resident aliens. We have a sojourn. The time of your stay, the time of your sojourn, we're just, this is just kind of a, an inn that we're staying in, this, this life here. I mean, it's not the real thing, okay? We're, we're going on. We intend to move on. It's the idea. So while we're here, make sure that we are behaving in the way that we would, God would want us to behave. And the fear of God is that which preserves our motives, which directs our steps to work for God, and that keeps us obedient. So we're to roll up our shirt sleeves, we are to um, be obedient, and we are to make sure that we always have the fear of God before us. I love it, this uh, last few words in verse 17. 
Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. That's, I think, is a wonderful way to end a sermon which tells us to think clearly, soberly about God and our relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would indeed remind us, because we are slow, remind us, Heavenly Father, of the simplicity of the Christian life in the midst of a world with its own wisdom, so-called, with its own sense of fun, its own ideas about salvation, its own ideas about uh, priorities. Help us, Father, to be clear-headed as we live in this world. And we do that by looking, Father, to the future, looking to the grace that will be dispensed upon us when Jesus returns. Lord, we're saved by grace and the great rewards that we will get are all by grace, not deserved at all. And so we, are th- we thank you. We thank you for your grace and we thank you, uh, Lord, that when, um, when we do stand before you and we have to give an account for our service, Father, Yes, there are things to confess. And yes, Father, there are things that would need to be, will need to be sorted out at the judgment seat. But Father, we will find grace there because of who you are. Amen. Text on the future and what is coming, it's a whole lot easier to be obedient, isn't it? I love that. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here because it is temporary. It's, uh, it's not forever, but we have a promise, a glorious future. So our uh, benediction today is out of First Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen. Have a wonderful week and conduct yourselves with an eye to the future and the fear of the Lord inside.